We know love by this, that he laid his life down for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. How does God's love abide in anyone who has the world's goods and yet sees a brother or sister in need and refuses help? Little children, let us love, not in words or speech, but in truth and in action. Would you please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Since Easter Sunday, we as a church have been reading through 1 John. Every worship service, every scripture reading, every sermon, even the hymns, have all been based on this one letter written centuries upon centuries ago. And it's important to remember that 1 John was and is a letter. It's a document. It's a document written by a wise old veteran Christian leader who continues to help those of us who are in the midst of our faith journeys by addressing the challenges of following Jesus. For John, following Jesus was all about love. We know love by this, that Jesus laid his life down for us, and we ought to do the same for one another. Let us not love with words or speech, but in truth or action, and we shall do all of this because God is greater than our hearts. Now to be very clear, I am not like John. I am not a mature Christian leader. I made you all play with crayons and Play-Doh last week. I am as far away from a mature Christian leader as you can possibly be. I don't have decades of experience to rely upon when expressing the value and the marks of following Jesus. The well of my wisdom is shallow compared to the deep insight that John shares in this letter. I am not like John. In fact, I'm the kind of person that John wrote this letter to in the first place. It was a written communication designed to sustain people like me, people like you, in the midst of this strange and beautiful thing we call faith. And during the time of John, letters were carefully crafted. Parchment and papyrus were expensive and rare. Reading and writing was pretty uncommon. A lot of thought had to go into it before a letter was sent out. And this was even more particular in the realm of the early church, where letters were shared with more than just one congregation. They were sacred pieces of text, and they were treated with utmost care. But today, we communicate in a variety of different forms. Sure, some of us use this thing, I don't know if you've ever heard of it, it's called the postal service, where we write, hand, uh, we write up by hand letters to be sent in the mail. But many of us, if not all of us, are more versed in the instantaneous forms of communication, like email, and text messaging, and Facebooking, and tweeting, and Instagramming, and even Snapchatting. And one of the biggest differences in the way we communicate today, as compared to the time of John, is that many of us offer our opinions and weigh into debates without really taking time at all to think about what we're offering. It's so easy to just type a few lines, to click that share button, to take a picture on our phones and upload it to the internet. We do all these things without even realizing what we're doing. Today, there exist computer programs designed to test whether information being shared is true or fair or accurate. The fact that we need these things, computer algorithms, to read through documents to find out whether they are true or false, because we simply don't have the time to do it on our own, is kind of absurd. But, when you consider how much is being produced, how much content we create, 
we do need something to help us sift through it all. Believe it or not, we as a species create as much content today in two days as we did from the dawn of humanity up until 2003. I mean, just let that sink in for a second. In two days, you and I create more content than in the total history of humanity until 2003. And we do it every two days. That's craziness. If you talk to a writer or to a poet, they'll tell you that if they got one paragraph written in one day, then it was a good day. Sometimes all they can muster is just one sentence. But that's because they take time to weigh out what they're really trying to say. But most of us, on the other side of the spectrum, we try to get out what we're saying as quickly as possible with as little effort as possible. We don't want our time wasted, so we take those words, we throw them on the wall, and we hope they stick. And so, while recognizing that I am not like John, and that all of us are bombarded with so much information, I reached out to other people this week, and I asked a very simple question. If you could say anything to your church... If you could say anything to your church without consequence, what would you say? If you could say anything to your church and it wouldn't come back to you, what would you say? It was my uh, attempt to get people to think like John and speak the truth about what he or she has experienced in the church. And like seasoned and faithful Johns, a number of people put their ideas together this week about love, and discipleship, and grace, and mercy. Whether it was on Facebook or email or Twitter or YouTube, insight rained down on the church office. And now all of you will be blessed with those letters. Fair warning, some of this will be very hard to hear. It will be hard to hear because uh, sometimes the messages can be very convicting, just like John was. Some of them are short and to the point. Some of them are longer and a little more introspective. Some will leave us scratching our heads. Some will make us lift our chins with pride. And some will make us droop our heads in shame. But that's the thing about communication today. Sometimes we say what we're thinking without even thinking about how it will be received. And sometimes that's okay. Dear church, one of the best things about our church is the way we love, our, love each other. I can't think of a Sunday when I came to worship without someone checking in on me. And that's really what I care about. It doesn't matter if the sermon falls flat or if one of the hymns is too hard to sing. When I come to church, I feel loved. Dear church, life can be really difficult at times, but when it's hard, we have a choice. We can lay down and take whatever comes or we can get back up and start working to solve the problem. The choice is ours. Dear church, we should be doing God's will, not power-hungry people's will. Dear church, what the church does is all about sharing the good news. And the good news is the fact that God loves sinners, and all of us are sinners. All of us. Dear church, I don't care what church it is, if I have to hear another political sermon, I'm going to lose my mind. The gospel is not about creating strong political opinions or calling people to march and protest. Jesus doesn't care who you vote for. Jesus doesn't share the good news so we know what political party to join or what candidate to support. So many preachers today sound like wannabe politicians, and I just 
can't stand it anymore. Following Jesus is not about whose political sign is in your yard or whose name is on your bumper. It's a call. It's a call for people who have the resources and the goods to open their hearts to people who have need. Love is about action, yes. But love is not a doctrine. It's not a sermon. It's not a political persuasion. It's what you do. It's not what you think. Dear church, I've been worshiping here for a while now, and nobody knows my name. Dear church, love must be more than a word. Dear church, how can any church call itself a church when it refuses to help or ignores altogether people in need? This is why the church is dying. Not because it's boring, not because it's old-fashioned, not because it's archaic or irrelevant. The church is dying because it's hypocritical. Dear church, speaking up for the good of people is risky. You can lose your jobs, your relationships, your money, and even your life to live by the kind of love that Jesus does and talks about. But if he was willing to risk it all, why aren't we? Dear church, laying down your life for someone is different than dying for them. When push comes to shove, many of us would consider sacrificing ourselves for the good of those we love. But laying down one's life, laying aside your goals and your priorities and your dreams and your aspirations for the betterment of someone else, that's entirely different. We need not die for anyone. But we certainly must lay aside our needs for others. Dear church, I'm tired of all the time and the resources going to people who are old and nothing going to people who are young. Dear church, having a slogan like open hearts, open minds, open doors, it's only good if you actually do it. Dear church, dear church, dear church. After receiving all of these comments and many more, I thought long and hard about what I might say. I pondered about what kind of letter I would write to this church or any church about what is really at stake. I prayed about what kind of shocking wisdom all of us need to hear on a Sunday morning. And yet, rather than pontificating from the pulpit, I want to hear from you. And I know, I know this is uncomfortable. This is going to be way more uncomfortable than playing with Play-Doh for 15 minutes. <laughs> but I want to hear what you have to say. I mean, think if you can. If this was your one chance to speak the truth of what you've experienced in church, what you hope and dream for in your church, where you've seen it fail, what would you say? Imagine this is your final Sunday, and you will never see these people ever again. And you get a chance to say what's really on your heart and mind. What would you say? What would you say? This isn't rhetorical. <laughs> if you had a chance to say something to the church, the truth of what you've experienced about where we need to be, what would you say? Yeah. Well, I would say, first of all, there's hope for everybody. You watch TV. I, I, I watch it. I know that everybody here. We all do that, right? And we see commercials, and you see a fancy car. You see... Chanel bags, you see all kinds of stuff. But the one thing I, I think I take from hearing these messages week after week is we all need to learn we have enough. 
We are alive, and there's hope for everybody. We're all sinners, but there's hope for you and for me. Yeah. We have, we have enough. What we need is here. What we need is here. Other, other things, if you have a chance to share what you want to say, what would you say? Love. The thing that I see in the church, and it beyond belief, is love. Everywhere you turn, you see and you feel love. And that's one of the reasons I come week after week, because it helps you a great deal inside to deal with everything you're going through. And you can feel that everyone in the church has love inside and really, truly cares. And I think it's wonderful. Yeah, I would say we're, we're not like a lot of other churches. <laughs> um, but yeah, we certainly have a lot of love when we're here. Other things that you want to say, yeah. Sure, so this is something that a lot of churches face. We have a roster. Of course we do. Of course the church today has a roster of names. And uh, if you look at our like, statistics, we have something like 500 names on our roll. 500 people who are members of the church. Uh, and yet our average worship is about 110. So, love to see all the names we have actually be part of the church. Okay, other things. If you could say the truth about where we are, what we need to do, what would you say? What would, what would your wisdom be that you would impart It's a very large denomination. 10 years ago, 
there were 3,500 clergy under the age of 35. 3,500 clergy under the age of 35. Today, there are 850. I'm one of them. <laughs> I am one of the 850 under the age of 35. And I still got five years left. Uh, but that, that, that should be frightening. Am I allowed to say something? You, you better say something. <laughs> having, just having retired, we started looking for a church to attend. It's frightening, my friends. You walk into places where nobody knows you. So I want to thank you all who did speak to us today. And one person even came over. I didn't get to see you when you came in. That makes a difference. Because they need, if we're not warm and welcome, they're not going to come back. Second thing, your statistic that 5% of people aren't even asked, don't wait to be asked. You know what you can do? Go back to take a lot of why it's good to have another preacher come to church. <laughs> but you're not allowed to preach when I'm preaching. <laughs> if you, if others, if you had a chance to say what's really been on your heart, what you really feel about the church, for all our faults and failures, what would you say? My question to the United Methodist Church is how are you guys going to accomplish the ministries? So, like, uh, how do people agree to think about the referendum? It is birthday, friends, if you haven't thought about that. I just wasted a whole bunch of paper. I apologize for that. But, uh, yeah, how are we uh, taking into account God's creation? Uh, what are we doing? How are we being mindful of what we have uh, and being good stewards of it? Because we've been pretty careful. Yeah, it looks like since you stop praying, they don't, some people like it. So if you can get somebody to play the drums whilst you are there, you don't go back and forth, you know what I mean? That's yeah, but I like playing the drums. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, think, I, I think part of what Nathan is saying is too, it's like, I, I feel it sometimes that there is a difference in energy, right? When we're singing to a CD versus when we get to hear somebody playing the piano or the guitar or the drums. There, you feel you feel alive when you get to sing that way. It's, it's more authentic. Uh, other thoughts, other things you, you wish you could say to the church. Okay, well, you mentioned it. I brought up that earlier, but I think it bears repeating that you know, as a church, we have a mission statement: open minds, open hearts, open doors. You know, if we're ever doing anything that doesn't fall under those three things, we shouldn't be doing it. You know, the way we talk, the way we treat those three things have to be the overall. You know, mission statement of the church. And, you know, again, if it doesn't fall into that, we just need to stop doing it. Yeah, it, it, it's pretty embarrassing if you put as a tagline of your church open hearts, open minds, open doors, and that's not what people experience. Right. Can I add something? Yes. Um, I've been thinking about this where I live in a senior housing place, and I wish that there was some way you could send information out to all these places about what you do here, because there are a lot of people over there that need the church. Mm -hmm. And they're not aware really, and they need to have things come in that they can see it again and again and again. Because I think that the church here is very, very special. I've been to a lot of churches all over the world, from Spain to California. Um, this one is best. And the point is that I think if people knew it was here and they came to look at it, they fall in love with it. Sure. Yeah. I I, I do agree that we're we're a rather unique a rather unique church too. Think about one of the things I want to share, right? I talked we, we get some hope. We get some hope. Um, but before we get there, one, one last frightening bit of information. 
the Pew Research study also announced, I think it was last year, two years ago, that 80% of churches in America have less than 50 people every Sunday. 80% of the church across the nation have 50 or less on Sunday. Something crazy, like 70 or 75% of churches have no one under the age of 35 at all, period, ever. Uh, so that should sound daunting, it should sound frightening, and then look around the room, look around the room, okay? We are not those statistics. We are not those statistics. We are in the top 20% of churches in terms of attendance. We are far above that in terms of age diversity. We are near the very top in terms of racial diversity. Martin Luther King Jr. very, very wisely said that the most segregated hour of the week is 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. That is still true across the American church landscape, and it is not true here. We have every reason to be hopeful, because we do not look like or act like or behave like so many other churches. I love hearing that you feel loved. Uh, I can't tell you how many churches I've been to where no one even asked me my name. And as I said before, I'm the unicorn. I'm what everybody wants. I'm a millennial. We want millennials in the church. It's kind of hard to retain a millennial if you don't even ask them their name. I think, I think we have every reason to be hopeful. We live in what will be, over the next 10 years, the greatest population growth of any part of the state of Virginia in the next 10 years. This Route 1 corridor We'll see uh, 10,000 more people in the next 10 years. No other place in Virginia in a two-mile radius will have that kind of growth. And there are lots of people who don't know Jesus, who don't know what it's like to feel so surrounded and loved by people on a weekly basis. We have every reason to be hopeful. Because my experience of this church largely has been the fact that you believe love looks like Jesus. Not what you see at Hallmark, not on the Lifetime channel, you know that love looks like Jesus. You're willing to set aside needs and wants and priorities for the betterment of other people. You know, we could open up a forum on our church website. We could solicit responses on Facebook and on Twitter. We could listen to all kinds of people say all kinds of things about the church. You can listen to the people in the pews next to you. You can even listen to me. And we can all listen to John. Because we know love by this that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to do the same for others. Little children, let us love, not in word or speech, but in truth and in action. I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Communion is one of those things that still unites the church across not just America, but across the globe. It's one of the few things that all churches have in common. For as diverse as we've become as a church in terms of what we believe, we all believe that Jesus appears and is with us in this meal. Church at its best is something that's so exciting, so life-giving, so powerful that you leave on Sunday morning thinking about who you're going to tell about what you experienced. You just can't keep that energy down. You just want someone else to know what you've seen and what you've felt. That's what happens here in communion. We get to come close to Jesus. That's what we have to share with other people. That here in this place, with this community, 
We come close to God, and that makes all the difference. So would you all please bow your heads and pray with me? Lord, we are who we are. But we can become who we need to become through you, your spirit, and your son, through the bread, through the cup, through prayer, through presence. So work in us, stir up within us the gifts, O Lord, that we have, whether we need to be asked or we can offer them, so that this is a place where all of us can bring our God-given talents together. Share with us, O Lord, your wisdom and your vision for who we are to be such that we could be a place that loves with open hearts and open minds and open doors, so that the energy we feel here goes with us everywhere we go, and that people, when they encounter us, can say that they've felt your presence among them. All God's people say, Amen.